Amen. Open your Bibles tonight, please, to Ephesians chapter number 4. And the journey continues through this chapter. The theme of the chapter, of course, is walking worthy. Walking worthy. So far, we've gone down through verse number 16. And looking at the remainder of the chapter, it could be divided into three sections. First of all, there is the admonition, verse 17, 18, and 19. And then there's the argument, verse 20 through 24, and the application. Now, naturally, we can't, uh, for time's sake, go through all of that tonight. And so we're going to be looking at verses 17 through verse number 24. Uh, you'll remember in the first part of this chapter, the emphasis was upon walking Christ-like. In this section of the chapter, the emphasis has to do with walking consistently. And by that, I mean that many times our profession and our practice are in discord. In other words, there are times that our beliefs and our behavior do not match up. We say one thing and and we do another. And uh, so many times we walk like the world walks instead of as the Christian ought to walk. And uh, uh, hopefully in the understanding of this portion of God's Word, it will enable us to walk consistently in Christ-likeness. I, I thought about the title of the message and I thought about calling it How to Get Rid of Your Old Man but I was afraid some of the women might think I was talking about divorce. And so the title of the message is The New Man, The New Man. And we're going to talk about the new man and the old man. And uh, that's what Paul talks about in this section. And uh, it's a picture of conflict, a conflict within the personal struggle between two opposing factors. So before we begin to read and to examine the verses, we need to say uh, we need to say a few things. Talking about this struggle that's within every Christian, the struggle between what the Bible calls the old man and the new man, um, if we're to live victoriously, we've got to understand this. Before a person is saved, they are described in the Bible as being spiritually dead. Uh, that is, their spirit is separated from God. So spiritually, they're dead. And uh, within their sinful nature, there is not even a spark of goodness. I, I've heard people talk about bad people, you know, as well. They've got a good heart, or, or there's some good in everybody. No, there's not. Until a person is saved, there is absolutely no goodness at all in that person. But the very moment a person receives Christ as their Savior, they receive a new nature. And that's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5:17, "If any man be in Christ, that's the key. Being in Christ, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away; all things become new." And we'll talk about that in another message sometime. Uh, but for now, we need to understand that the moment that we're saved, all of a sudden, we have a new nature. So you can say we are no longer a natural person. 
We are different. You become somebody that you've never been before. The problem is, is there's still that, there's still that vestige, the vestiges of the old nature. The, the Bible refers to it as the flesh. Now, I understand many times when the Bible uses the word flesh, it has reference to, to our body, our sinful body, the, the flesh itself. But in other instances, it's used in regards to our, our human frailty and especially our tendency to sin. And, and by the way, that never goes away throughout our lifetime. We struggle with that difficulty, that propensity that we have to sin. And by that, I mean that, that many times we choose to act independent of God and to focus on self. Uh, rather than the Lord. We have a new nature, but there are still those carnal desires within, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But we need to understand that this struggle going on within you is is natural for every Christian. You see, a lot of people get saved and they just, you know, automatically think. In fact, I was in that boat when I got saved. I thought... Praise the Lord, you know, I, all, all of a sudden by becoming a Christian, uh, you know, I'm not going to have any desire to drink any longer or do this any longer or that any longer. And I was a bit confused whenever I realized I'd be going down uh, Sunshine Street there in Springfield, Missouri, which happened to be the street my, my home bar was on. And every time I'd go down that street, there was something that made me want to turn in there. I, I mean, I, I just, I couldn't get rid of that feeling, that that temptation to do that. And and you try to justify it in a thousand and one different ways. Well, I, I think I'll just go in there and talk to uh, talk to Joe about the Lord, maybe. Uh, you know, yeah. And uh, eventually I did. Eventually I was strong enough Christian that I was able to do that and to actually talk to him about the Lord, but it would have been a very dangerous thing to do otherwise. So all of our lifetime, there is this struggle. And by the way, like I say, that's true of every single Christian. Now, there are, I like what somebody said. He said, we are, uh, whenever we trust Christ as our Savior, we are uh, no yesterdays and it's all tomorrow for us. In other words, it's all new. But as we look at this here tonight, and I'm going to get to it in just a second, there are three lines of thought uh, that he speaks about. Ye were, ye are, and ye be. Ye were. This is what you used to be. This is what you are. But this is what you need to become. And that's what we want to think about. And there are three things tonight that I want to drive home that are important relating to us getting the victory over the weaknesses of the flesh. The first thing, and we'll start in verse number 17 down through verse 21. Here's the first thing. We have to recognize our sinful tendencies. Verse 17, Paul says this, I say therefore and testify in the Lord. So you know it's going to be right. Amen. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling... 
have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness and greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be, that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, we could spend hours talking about that, but notice how that section begins. It begins there with the word, therefore. That means so. And and so what he is about to say is based on the things that he has been saying. And what he's been telling us is that Christians ought to be radically different from the world. And whenever he says that we are to walk worthy, he's talking about us walking our manner of life, our daily deportment, uh, the way that we live, being something that is becoming of a Christian. Walking worthy, different from the world. Now, the problem is we still have this tendency to sin. I often think about that in the in the old song that we sing, prone to wonder, Lord, I, uh, I, how, I, how I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And, 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 and if you're a Christian, you know exactly what the songwriter had in mind. It's not that you are prone to deny God. It's not that you want to turn your back entirely on the Lord, but you recognize there is, there is this, this drawing power within you, something trying to hold you back and move you away. And something that you know ultimately will cause your fall. So we need to recognize these sinful tendencies in our life. And when I say that, there are two key things. First, we need to recognize the presence of sin. The Apostle Paul certainly did. Whenever I think about Paul and what a spiritual giant he was, you know, I'm amazed when I go over and I read Romans chapter number 7. And there in Romans chapter number 7, Paul is talking about the struggle that he was going through. Now, you would think as great as he was that maybe he he was above that by now, right? I mean, you would think, all right, he's got his act together. I mean, he, he has conquered temptation. It no longer bothers him. But Paul said that I find myself, you know, the things I would do, I do not. And the things I wouldn't do, I find myself doing. So here is Paul, the great servant of God that he was dealing with this very issue. And and Paul is humble enough to confess that he recognizes the sin that is in his life. I think about what uh, John said in 1 John chapter 1, and I believe it's in verse number 10. And you remember he's speaking to Christians there. And he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's verse number 9. But verse 10, he says, and if we say we have no sin, we're a liar. The truth's not in us. I mean, no, no true Christian is going to be so bold and so proud and so foolish as to turn around and say, oh, well, I've been saved and, uh, you know, I, I don't have any sin. Now, I say that, and yet this is something that maybe you, you're not aware of. Do you realize there are people who believe in what is called sinless perfection? Uh, if you go back and study the holiness movement, for example, and you go all of the way back to the Wesleys, that's really where this, this teaching got its start. And you find it in some Methodist churches today, and the Nazarene churches are big on this, that we can mature and develop and get spiritually strong enough that we no longer sin. 
which is about the stupidest thing I've ever heard in all of my life. They claim to believe that, but they confess they've never met anybody that's got there yet. You figure that one out. But I'm telling you, that's what these people believe uh, for for, for many years. In in fact, I think these... uh, these meetings probably still go on. A big conference in England, Keswick, England. Uh, every year they have the Keswick Convention, they call it. And it's all about the deeper life. And, and you know, the idea is just let go and let God, you know. Well, we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. You know, it, it, you know, we're to trust the Lord, no doubt about it. But God expects us to do more than just let go, let God and, and, you know, they've, they've got the idea that if we just, if our faith is just strong enough that we can get to this place that we conquer all sin in our life. We, listen, we need to recognize the presence of sin in our life and call it what it is. Not try to justify it, not try to explain it away, you know, well, you know, I'm like I am because of this or because of that. I mean, call it what it is. It's sin, so recognize its presence, but then we also need to recognize the purpose of the old man. By purpose, I mean what its intent is. I'm talking about that old desire that you still have within you. You now have a new nature, a new you. You're not what you used to be. That's true. But it's kind of like the old Indian chief many years ago explained about uh, being a Christian, that black dog and white dog that was all the time fighting within him, struggling against each other. And, uh, you know, that's what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter number 7. Somebody said, well, which one wins? He said, the one I feed the most. You feed the flesh, the flesh is going to win. You feed the spirit, the spirit is going to prevail. Now, in re- recognizing the purpose, uh, the intent the desire of the flesh, it is to deceive, to defile, and to destroy. And we could look at a lot of verses that relate to that very thing. But the whole point is, sinful man is self-destructive. And there's so many times in our life that we will knowingly do something that we know is contrary to the will of God. That's what the Bible refers to as walking after the flesh. And, and, and Paul warns us about that in the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. He says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But now listen to this. If you live after the flesh, he says, you shall die. He's not talking about losing your salvation. He's talking about the fact that it may cost you your life to live after the flesh. But then he says, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify, that is put to death, the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Make no mistake about it. Paul, as great as he was, recognized his sinful tendencies, and we all need to do that. And and by the way, All of us have different areas where we're more prone to sin. You know, whenever he says there in Hebrews chapter number 12, he talks about laying aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. There is, uh, every person has a different besetting sin. Something, you know, that is, you know, tempting to me might not be tempting to you at all. There's no temptation for you, but for me, there's a great temptation. 
And, and, and it's like I've said, and I've often admitted, and something I'm ashamed of, not proud of, uh, I often feel like the dirty hairy of the preachers because there, there is something deep within me that, that I have to keep in check, and that is that vengeful spirit. You cut me off in traffic, I want to run you down and stop you. I, I, I don't like that. Just, and look, I, I'm, this is confession time. I'm confessing to you. That's a weakness in my life that I just, just something goes off within me, and, and I've got to recognize that and uh, and prepare for it. And, and that's what I'm talking about in recognizing our sinful tendencies. But secondly, we have to refuse sinful temptations. Notice what he says in verse number 22 now. We're talking about refusing sinful temptations. It's one thing to recognize it. It's another thing to refuse it. Notice he says that ye put off concerning the former conversation. Now, that word conversation doesn't just have reference to the manner in which we talk. It has to do with the way that we walk. It has to do with our citizenship, with our deportment. And he says, put off the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful to the deceitful lust. Now, notice he says, put these things off. Uh, everything related to the old man. So he's issuing here a command. This is an obligation. It's not an option. We're to put off our old manner of life just like you would discard soil clothes. I mean, if you spill coffee all over your shirt, you know, and you've got an appointment and you've got to look nice, well, you, you, you want to take that old soiled garment and take it and put it in the, uh, in, in, in the laundry. Well, that's what he's talking about in regards to the manner in which we used to live. He's comparing it to a garment, and he says, take it off. You know, in the first place, I don't understand why anybody would have to beg us and plead with us and command us to get rid of those things. I mean, you would think that a beggar would take off all of his tattered garments. If you offered him a new suit, he immediately would take those things off. But look, we're not talking about garments literally here. This is a figure of speech. And understand these things that he's telling us to put off, to get rid of, these are things that are tendencies towards sin. These are areas of our life that would deceive us and drag us down. And so he's already reminded them of their former condition. Remember chapter 2? Maybe you don't remember it. He's talking about their former condition before they were saved. And notice what he says about this in chapter number 2. And, well, let's pick up in verse number 1 to start with. Uh, where am I at? And you have he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's, now that's true of every unsaved person. Wherein in time past, back before you were saved, in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. Look at verse number 12, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth 
of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. Now, that's the way it was for every single person before they were saved. That's just as true of you as it was true of them. And so Paul has been warning us about the need to change, reminding us of what we used to be, and telling us now, whatever you do, don't go back to that former way of life. It reminds me of the children of Israel. God delivers them, you know, from Egyptian bondage, and they get out, and you think, wow, they finally got their head screwed on straight, and now they're going to walk the straight and narrow way and do what's right. After all, God has promised them, you know, the, the, the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. They won't have to build houses. They can go in and take them. They won't have to plant vineyards because they can just go in and take possession of all of those things that, that were the result of the labor of other people. And God says, I'm going to give all of that up to you because of their sinfulness. So there it is before you. And, and, and no, no sooner do they get out there in the wilderness and all of a sudden, They begin to murmur and complain, and what do they want? The leeks and the onions and the garlic and the cucumbers and stuff, the former things back there, back there in Egypt. Wait a minute. They groaned in hard bondage every day living in slavery in Egypt. And now, think about it, now they're saying, we want to go back. It's just too rough out here, you know. Uh, you've misled us, Moses. We want to go back. We want those things. Now, it doesn't make sense, does it? But I'm telling you, whenever we get under the pressure of sin's temptation, we don't always do things that make sense. The decisions that we make are not always based on reason, and we cave in to the lust of the flesh. And that's why he's reminding us here that we are to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. In other words, we ought to be always mindful that we are representing the King of kings and Lord of lords. Walk worthy of the vocation wherein you were called. Sadly, a lot of times we leave the impression with other people, you know, we misrepresent Christ and we leave the impression with them that it's okay to, you know, to live as we do, that we can be Christians and still be like the world and uh, consequently it leads to them rejecting Christ. I've I've often said, and you know, I don't know that this is true, but just trying to look at my life and the way that my mind worked back before I was saved. And I've often thought to myself, you know, if it, if it were today, this day and age, and I thought now like I used to think back then, and now knowing what I know about Christianity, I've got to tell you, I don't know that anybody would have ever been able to even drag me into the church. Because I recognize the fact that I needed something that no man can supply. I need something that I cannot do for myself. You know, if there is a God in heaven, I desperately need Him. And that's what I was yearning for. I didn't know anything about God, but I knew I needed something. And somebody told me 
that, well, if you go to church, you can discover and find out what it is you're looking for and what you need. And, and this is what I knew. The Christians that I knew that were devoted to the Lord and serving the Lord, they were all different than I was. And being able to see their difference made a difference in the decision that I made. And I said, you know, I can see they've got something I need. And I started going to church. But we look around today, and after all of these surveys have been taken, and many of them have been done, and so this is not guesswork. This is based on what church members themselves have said. And, and as you go down the list and those surveys, and they're all a little bit different, but, you know, they're all basically the same. Do you do this? Do you do that? Do you do the other? And so on and so forth. And whenever, whenever you get down to the end of it and you look at the bottom line, there is almost no difference whatsoever between the average person walking around out here and the average churchgoer, professing Christian. No difference. And I'll tell you, our difference makes a difference. And when we misrepresent Christ, we are putting a stumbling block before those that desperately need Christ. And that's why we need to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called. To do that, in order for us to walk worthy, in order for us to live victoriously, then the new man must prevail over the old man. And to do that, we have to recognize our sinful tendencies. We have to refuse our sinful temptations. And then the last thing we pick up in verse 23 now we have to replace our sinful traditions. Now, let me explain that. The word traditions, as I'm using it here, has to do with the customs and the practices and things. I'm talking about the things that we used to do by nature. And so I'm using the word to describe that, our former manner of life. We are to discard those, take them off like a garment. Notice, and he says, and put on the new. So we are, we are to avoid sin like the plague. Notice what he says in verse number 23. He says, and be ye renewed in the spirit of your mind. So if this is going to happen, if I'm going to put off the old man and put on the new man and live victoriously, then my attitude has to change. And that's exactly what he's getting at here. This has to do with our mind, the renewing of the spirit of your mind. In other words, we can't think wrong and live right. It's impossible. Paul said to the Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Christians have been changed and they ought to be changing. And we're in a constant need of change. And consequently, we have to make adjustments. And that's, the Bible talks about that. Remember whenever he said in Romans chapter number 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And, and, and then he goes on and he says, uh, verse number three, my, my mind went blank for a minute, uh, uh, by the renewing of your mind. I, I can't believe I'm not quoting all of that. I've known that all of my life, and then you get down here at a minute like this, and my mind goes blank. I want the exact wording of verse number 3, though. 
where he says, verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, which is what we've been talking about, but be ye transformed, notice, by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. And that's why it's so important that every single day of our life that we meditate upon the Word of God. That's why the psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in my, thy, my heart that I might not sin against thee. And whenever we fill our heart and our mind with God's Word, it's going to make a difference in the decisions that we make and the direction we take and the things that we do. But you, we can't ignore that because whenever we do, some people wonder, well, why, why is it you know that I, uh, I, I, I'm always living in fear and I'm always living in doubt and I, ju- I just can't stop worrying about things. I know what the Bible says, you know, to be careful for nothing and so on and so forth. We're familiar with all of those verses and we can quote them, but still we do it. Well, the reason is because we're not feeding on the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You know, people talk about, well, I just, I wish I had as much faith as you do. Well, get it. Get it the same place everybody else gets it. And you get it from the Word of God. And as you saturate your mind with the Word of God, it's going to develop confidence in the Lord. And all of a sudden, those fears that have overwhelmed you are going to melt away. Those worries that keep you up at night, suddenly there will be a peace that passeth all understanding. Simply because of what we're putting in our mind. That's what I'm talking about. It's one thing to refuse those sinful, those sinful temptations. It's another thing, you know, to fill your mind with, with the good things, the right things. Somebody says, well, I, you know, I just don't think you ought to reduce Christianity down to, uh, down to making it a habit. Well, why not? What's wrong with a habit? The Bible says of those in Corinth, he's talking about that in the last part of the first letter there, they had talked about those in the case. He said they have addicted themselves, addicted themselves to the Lord's service. Now, that sounds like habitual to me. Not anything wrong with having a good habit. And let me tell you, just stopping this and stopping that and, you know, just doing those things does not mean you're going to be doing the right things. There's certain parts of the country that I uh, that I've spent a lot of time in, and they're really hung up on this. They have reduced Christianity down to a set of rules that you know. And I, I don't want to get started on the list. You could probably you could probably think of everything I would name, but Christians shouldn't do this, and they shouldn't do that. And, and you know, everything they say might be true. But there's more to the Christian living than just stopping these things. When are we going to start some things? And that's what I'm talking about here. It's one thing to get rid of those old things. It's another thing to put on the new things. Now, notice verse number 24. Not only must our attitude change, but our actions must conform. Notice what he says. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Notice he says, put on. That tells us this is our responsibility. Remember I talked 
earlier about those in the Keswick Convention and, and, and others who, you know, they live according to the philosophy, just let go and let God, just trust God. The just are to live by faith. And so, you know, if we just trust God, everything's all right. Well, you know, there, there are a lot of things that we can't do for ourselves. And we we are in desperate need of God's help at all times. But understand this, there are some things that God will not do for us. And whenever he says, put off the old man, put on the new man that is mortified the deeds of the flesh, put them to death and live righteously, he is telling us what we are to do. We are to put forth the effort to do that. Rather than just sit back and say, well, you know, you have all power in heaven and earth. If that's what you want me to do, make me do it. It's like somebody said, you know, God feeds a sparrow, but he doesn't throw the worm in the nest. And that's right. God, Listen, God expects us to live a life that is holy and righteous, and we can't do that without God's help. It's utterly impossible for us to live that way without the strength that he gives. But it's not going to happen if we don't make an effort to do so. I love what a fellow of the name of Kent Hughes, and, and I say that because I don't know that much about this man's ministry, so this is no recommendation of his books or his church or anything else. But he made a statement that several years ago that I read and I jotted down because it relates so well to what we're talking about. And if you'll forgive me, I want to take time to read this paragraph or two that he wrote. And, and here's what he said. He said, we have the new self if we are Christians. We receive the old man at birth, our natural birth, and we were given the new man in our heavenly birth. The new man is not our work. It is God's creation and gift. And our task, now listen carefully, our task is not to weave it but to wear it. Paul is commanding a daily appropriation of that which we already possess. We have our part to do in dressing ourselves with the divine wardrobe. We must daily set aside the rotting garments of the old man. We must formally reject sensuality and selfish pride, and materialism, and bitterness, and we must read the Word and ask God to renew our minds through the Spirit. We must work out our salvation by doing those things that we will develop a biblical mind. We must put on our new shining garments of light. We must put on what we are. I don't think I ever read anything that sums this up better than that. We must put on what we are. Because the moment that we receive Christ as our Savior, we become a new creature. Now we have a new nature. And, and you know, we could spend a lot of time talking about the old nature and the new nature. But understand this. That because we have a new nature, now our natural tendency is toward the good instead of the evil. Before, our propensity to sin was only toward the evil. But now things have changed and it becomes unnatural for us to live 
unscripturally. For us to live contrary to the Word of God is to live against our new nature. Now, notice in the last words what Paul has to say. He says, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, notice he says, which after God, that, that means in the likeness of God, the new man is created to be like Christ. And then notice he describes this with two words. Maybe you're wondering, well, what does it mean to, you know, to, to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean to be Christ-like? Well, Paul's going to sum it all up with these two words. Notice in, in righteousness and holiness. The strange thing is you go all the way back to Luke chapter number 1 and there in verse number 75 in talking about, you know, our responsibility to serve the Lord and talking about Christ. And he says way back there, he says that we're to serve God in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. In other words, the point of that is in righteousness and holiness we are to serve the Lord and there's no vacations in this. There's no time off. There's no spring break whenever it comes to this. I, for the life of me, I, you know, well, I guess I can understand it. A bunch of unsaved people acting like unsaved people. But uh, but I, you think about Mardi Gras. That, that has got to be the biggest joke in the history of the world to think about what those people are doing to go down there and to live like they live for however many days it is. And I mean, it's just anything goes and, and so forth. And then all of a sudden, they're supposedly celebrating, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ and their relationship with Him and their love for Him. Let me tell you, we're never at liberty, never at liberty to take off the new garment and to put on the old garment. He says, all the days of our life. And so we're always on duty. We're to be righteous. We're to be holy every single day of our life as long as we live. You know, I've met so many people that are like the man that uh, somebody asked him about being a Christian. He said, yeah, I've been a Christian off and on for years now. What? But that's the way a lot of people think. I've been a Christian off and on for years now. How sad it is to think about somebody with that attitude. But yet there are so many people, you know, come Sunday... Boy, we put on our Sunday go-to-meeting clothes and it's off to church we go. We sing the grand old hymns and we listen to a message from God's Word. And then, man, it's right back out in the world the other six days of the week. And, and this, this business of walking worthy, this of living for the Lord, of being holy and righteous is something that ought to characterize our life every single day of every year. It ought to be our manner of life, the way that we live. And to do that, we have to do what? We have to recognize our sinful tendencies. The moment you start thinking that you have arrived, you're going to fall. 
You've got to recognize those sinful tendencies within you and call, call it what it is. It's sin. And then you have to refuse those sinful temptations that come before you. And then you have to replace, you have to replace the bad with the good. Isn't that what he's saying here? Take off the old garments. Put on the new garments. And that's the responsibility, and, and I, I need to say that's the privilege of every child of God. Because before we were saved, there was no possibility of us, of us being able to take off the old garments. I tried that, and I failed every time. That's why Paul said, the unsaved are taken captive of the devil at his will. So many times we see somebody that's addicted to drugs or alcohol or whatever it is, and, you know, we say, well, you know, I don't have any sympathy for somebody like that. I mean, they made their bed. They can sleep in it. I mean, that was a choice they made. They don't have to do that. What makes you think they don't? What makes you think they don't have to do that? If they're taken captive of the devil at his will, they're unsaved. They don't have the power of Christ living within them. They don't have the ability to resist temptation like you do. They are what they are because they are without Christ. And they walk, as he said back in chapter 2, they walk according to the course of this world. That's natural for them. Now, for those of us that are saved, it's natural that we live a life that is holy and righteous. That doesn't mean that we never sin. But it certainly means that we don't continue living habitually in sin. That's the big difference. And if you don't believe that, when you get home, read 1 John chapter 3, verse 7 through 10. Or 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, where Paul is dealing with that, with that very issue there. He said, you know, no, and he's got a long list of different sinners there. And he said, none of those people shall inherit the kingdom of God. But now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We think back, and what about David? He committed adultery. In fact, he went beyond that. He had her husband put to death, basically, so he's guilty of murder. He did that. Yeah, he did, but he didn't keep doing it. And that's the difference. Whenever the Bible speaks about a righteous man, it says, Though he falls seven times, he shall not be utterly cast down, but the Lord shall uphold him. It's our new nature to live a life that is unnatural in this world. And when others see that difference in us, you mark it down. It might be today they might not have any interest whatsoever. But the time will come in their life where they will hit bottom. The time will come when they realize that they need something different than what they have. And that's when your testimony is going to pay off. When the doctor says you have cancer and there's nothing I can do about it, you're going to die. Whenever the wife says, I'm leaving you for another man. Whenever some disaster comes into their life, some awful time, and all of a sudden they realize I need something that I don't have, and that's when they're going to start thinking about the difference that they saw in your life, and that's when the door of their heart will be open and you'll be able to effectively witness to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we live exactly like they live, when they come to those crisis moments in their life, they're going to conclude 
There is no answer to my problem. I'll blow my brains out. I'll take an overdose. I'll jump off of a bridge because there's no hope for me. Oh, if we could get the world to see there is indeed hope and there is help in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. Walk in righteousness and holiness. And that's what walking worthy is all about. Let's stand together. Father, we have no idea tonight exactly what you might be saying to your people. We have no idea as to the needs of different people. It might be that we even assume that certain people don't have any needs whatsoever. It might be because of their godly lifestyle that we look at people and we we might suspect that they're not struggling with any sin in their life, but but Lord, you know different, and they know different, and within the depths of their heart, even now, as righteous as they appear, it might be that there are those filthy thoughts, those horrible habits, or whatever it is, that's robbing them of the riches of Christ. God, help them tonight. Help them to recognize the sin that is in their life, to call it what it is, and to put off the old man and to put on the new man. And Lord, if there's someone here tonight that's never received Christ as their Savior, help them to really understand maybe for the first time that in that condition, they are without God and without hope in this world. Help them to see that their hope is the Lord Jesus Christ who shed His blood for their sins. For we ask it in His precious name. Amen.